0: When Charles Haddon Spurgeon, probably the most famous preacher in the 19th century here in London, read those verses in the Met Tab, he finished by saying, There is no stopping this God. There is no stopping this God. Those whom he foreknew, those whom he predestined, those whom he called, those whom he justified, he will also glorify. If you were here last week, we looked at Romans 8 verse 28, the greatest promise in this, the greatest chapter of what is arguably the greatest letter in the entire Bible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. And we said that that meant that God uses everything in our life, the good, the bad, the twist turns, the trials, the tribulations, everything for our ultimate good for our eternal good which is to make us more like jesus last week i said we were going to look at verses 29 to 30 we are but over two weeks now because there's five golden chain five links in the golden chain of verses 29 to 30 and i had a five-point sermon but i didn't know how to get it under seven thousand words so i had to say no 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 that this is two sermons. So we're going to just look at verse 29 this morning, the first two links in the golden chain, new and predestined. And then next week we'll come back and we'll look at what it means to be called and justified and glorified. And so just so you know, the, the confession of faith was a little bit out of sync because we were confessing what it means to be effectually called and what it means to be justified. But that doesn't matter. Now, as we come to this passage, can I just give this disclaimer? Some of you here who have been Christians for maybe some time, or maybe you're a young Christian, but you, you know a little bit about Christian theology, you can come to a passage like this and you can get stirred inside, stirred at least for a theological discussion, because you see terms like for new and you see terms, terms like predestined, and you think th- there's a huge theological discussion to be had. But when Paul penned these verses, he did not pen them so that he could fill our minds with head knowledge. He penned these verses so that you and I could know comfort and confidence in our salvation and in the security of our future glory. These verses were penned so that we could have assurance, so that we could know that God loves us. And, and, and let me see. this is what Paul has said in verse 28. He said, God is sovereign in all things. And that is for our assurance. He works all things together for his, for our ultimate good. And now in verse 29, Paul wants to say, God is sovereign in all of salvation. You see, we are Christians because God loved us in eternity past. God predestined us in eternity past. We are Christians because in the fullness of time, God called us and justified us. And we will get to future glory because God will glorify us. God is sovereign in all of salvation from first to last. And so Paul penned this so that you and I would have confidence in him who brought salvation's plan about. Now, the reason we're going to linger long for two weeks in this passage is for another partial reason. Because I'm not naive as a pastor, and I've learned this from Paul, that we as Christians, we we have moments in life, whether it's because of our own sin or because it's of suffering, that we will doubt God's love. Or we will doubt the security of our salvation. And Paul, as a wise and experienced pastor, penned these verses because he wanted us to know, not just in our minds, but deep down in our hearts and souls, listen. There is nothing, nothing on this earth, no sin, no suffering that can ever separate you from the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. And so here's what I'm praying this morning and what I've been praying all week. If you're struggling with your sin, if you're struggling with suffering, God wants you to know this morning you are safe and you are secure in Christ Jesus two points. First point, foreknowledge. The plan of God is rooted and directed by the love of God. Second point, predestination. The plan of God from the very beginning has always had this destiny in mind. We will be like Jesus and Jesus will be glorified in us. So let's think about foreknowledge. I know we've got some chess players in the church and you will know the name, Magnus Carlsen, the Norwegian chess grandmaster. He's believed to have said that he can see 15 to 20 moves ahead in any game. Now just, just think about that for a moment. Magnus can think about multiple pieces on a chessboard and extrapolate in multiple directions and anticipate multiple potential responses from his opponent and his potential moves. Like, that is brilliant. (laughs) Like, that's out of this world. He, He can think in his mind 20 moves deep. Now, I mention that because I think some of us, when we think about God and we think about God's foreknowledge, that's the way we think about it. God knows everything beforehand. He knows how we're going to respond and react in any situation and circumstance. There's a sense in which that's absolutely true. God knows absolutely everything. We've been singing about it all morning. Psalm 139. All the days of our lives have been ordained by God. All that comes to pass, he knew before it came to pass but here's why i begin with that because foreknowledge here does not mean and this is where many people who study this verse get tripped up when paul writes about foreknowledge here he is not speaking about god knowing everything beforehand some people who read this verse think that believe that and so what they believe is god looked down that with a set binoculars if you will the corridors of the future and history and he he saw that you and i would make a decision to believe in jesus and in light of that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son that is not what this verse says and the reason i I don't believe that's what this verse says because that would do something that does not fit with the book of romans that would put us in the driving seat of salvation And we are not in the driving seat of salvation. God is. From the get-go, Paul has been making clear salvation from first to last is all of God. God, we read in the effectual calling, he, 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 he called us to himself. He drew us to himself. He brought about our salvation. And so I want to make clear, foreknowledge here does not mean God knows everything in advance. In this context, there's other verses that speak, of course, of God's foreknowledge, like Psalm 139. Now, let me tell you why I'm absolutely convinced that that's not what Paul means here when he says this. Look at the beginning of verse 29 again. It says, for those whom he foreknew. Look, it does not say for the decisions that God foreknew. It says, for those whom he foreknew, what God foreknew were people. And so what this verse tells us that God knew you and me who are Christians. He knew us not just in any way, he, he knew us in a saving, intimate way. So again... If you read through the Old Testament, one of the most striking things is the word know. Know is used in the Hebrew, not just to refer to a general intellectual knowledge of something or someone. Know is used to speak about the most intimate personal relationship. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore him a son, Cain. See, know there is love language. Know there is the most intimate language. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So in Jeremiah, to know implies a loving selection... Of, individ, of an individual in eternity past for God's own glorious purposes. And don't take my word for it. Listen to uh, John Murray. And John, uh, stop. To know, to foreknow means to for love. John, Stott, The Hebrew word to, the Hebrew verb to know expresses much more than the mere intellectual cognition. It denotes a personal relationship of love and care. John Murray, know is practically synonymous with love he whom he foreknew is equivalent to whom he foreloved so foreknowledge means foreloving before god laid the foundation of this earth he loved you and i All of God's plan and purpose is grounded, it is rooted, and it is directed by his love. The agenda of our Heavenly Father from eternity past to eternity future and here in the present is directed by love. Now, the biggest question is, why does God love me? And the scripture's answer to that question is he loves you because he loves you. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, probably one of my favorite sections of the Old Testament. The Lord your God has chosen you, Israel, to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And God says in verse 7, it's not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. Verse 8, it is because... The Lord loves you. The reason God loves us is because he loves us. Not because of anything about us in the sense that we earned his love, we made a decision for his love. No, we actually now love him because he first loved us. Now, I want you to let this truth sink deep into your soul. Because it is is life-transforming implications. God's love for you is from everlasting and to everlasting. Psalm 103. That means there was never a moment where God started loving you. So Dutch theologian Gerhardus Vos said this, the reason God will never stop loving you is that he never began what does that mean well you and i who are in christ jesus because we're in christ jesus and jesus does not have a beginning and we're loved in christ jesus god has loved us from all eternity because we are bound up with christ and he's never loved outside of christ it is truly, truly a mind-blowing, mind-bent truth. It is astonishing. It is astounding. It is jaw-dropping. Let this truth impact your minds. Let it amaze your hearts, because it will transform your life. This truth is intended to breathe unfailing assurance into the Christian. So I know, and you know, you don't need me to tell you this, life is difficult. And what makes life difficult is our sin. Our own sin. That which we should do, we don't do. What often can make life difficult is circumstances that work against us. Disappointments that can overwhelm us and threaten us. But you need to know in these moments, God's love on you is fixed and focused never waxes or wanes. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you any more. And there is nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. You know the little girl who's in the, in the park and she finds a daffodil? She thinks of the little boy in school class. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. She's unsure. Not so with God. He loves you. Period. He loves you from eternity past and he will go on loving you. I know that in life's unexpected trials and troubles, sometimes we think our greatest need is an explanation why, why God's this happening. Our greatest need in those moments is to know he loves you. And it is nothing, no sin. No suffering that can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. So that's, he foreknew you, he foreloved you. And that leads us on to predestined, predestination. So the word for No speaks to us about God's disposition. He loves us from all eternity well, the second word, predestination, speaks to us not about God's disposition towards us, but about the destination he has intended for us. So, at the same time, before the beginning of the world, God set his love upon you. And before the foundation of the world, God predetermined your destiny. Your final destination in the eternity that is to come is... You will be conformed to the image of Jesus. You will be just like Jesus. All of us, or many of us here are, are, are now Londoners, and uh, even if you're not a Londoner, you'll, you'll get the illustration. You know what life is like in London? You'll get a, you'll say to a friend, let's meet up for a coffee, let's meet up for a meal, uh, or whatever, and you'll agree to a venue, and when the time comes for you to go to that, you'll take out your phone and you'll look up google maps or city mapper and you'll type in your final destination i just love city mapper because it gives you every possible route and every possible way to get to your final destination here's all the tubes here's the buses here's the e-bikes here's all the uber options now the reason i mention that is because from the beginning god as it were set the destination to be like Christ. And from the beginning God determined the root. And do you know what the root is? Well, for all of us it's very different. Because we all live in we're all different people with unique stories. But in Christ it's all the same. We go the same way that Christ went. We grow and we learn and we become like Christ through suffering and obedience in this present fallen age we grow to be more like christ through the circumstances of this life and god uses all things he uses the good and he uses the bad he uses the tough and he uses the easy things all of them to make us more like christ preachers love to use this story i like this story It's maybe not even true, though. So just saying that, just caveat. Michelangelo, most famous statue, David. Wonderful statue, spectacular. It's a masterpiece. Here's the story. It's reported that when he was going to craft David, he was given a discarded piece of stone. And after he sculpted it, no one could believe that he produced it from that discarded piece of stone and so everybody asked him how in the world did you carve such a masterpiece from such an ugly piece of stone and his reply was i saw david in the stone and i let him out which in essence is to say this i took away anything that didn't look like david i took away anything in the stone that didn't look like david and church that's what god is doing as he takes us through this life. He's chipping away and discarding the bits of us that do not look like Jesus. And he does it through adversities, failures, disappointments. That is how he makes us more like Jesus. And he uses all things. I don't know about you, but when I find myself in challenging circumstances or when I find myself suffering... I'm tempted to look upon them as interruptions into my life. But then I learn that I'm viewing them wrong. Suffering is not an interruption in my life. Suffering is what God can use in my life to make me more like Jesus. I'm tempted to get really discouraged in my Christian life because of my sin there are some moments I cannot believe what I've done, what I've said, what I've thought. And I wonder to myself, God, Like I know if you're saying my my, my final destiny is to be like Jesus, but on this journey, I don't feel like I'm making progress. I don't feel like I'm going forwards. I feel like, like I'm going backwards. I feel like I'm going round and round, roundabouts. I feel like I'm going down the wrong way, like a wrong way street. But you need to know that In God's sovereign superintendence of our life, all things are used to take us to our final destination. Even the sin that I hate, God, search me and see if there be any offense in me so that, God, you can lead me in the way that's right for me, in your way. So that you can show me afresh your grace and your love. God predestines us. The final destination is we will be more like Jesus. And can I say this? This should give you and I so much confidence. Because it was God who determined that. And see if it was you and I that determined that. See if you and I said, "Like I want to set the goal for my life, the purpose of my life is I want to be more like Jesus. Let's be all honest with ourselves, ruthlessly honest. Would any of us become more like Jesus? Nope. Even the best of us, the most disciplined of us. Because we can. It's impossible. But God? Nothing's impossible. And he will make us more like Jesus. The destiny is set. Now, I need you to see this when we think about God's predetermined plan. Our ultimate destiny It's not just that we will be like Jesus. His plan of salvation for our lives is much bigger than that. It's that as we become more like Jesus, we said this last week, Jesus will be glorified. In order, says Paul in verse 29, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. The final goal of God's grand plan, is the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. So that on that day, when we reflect his glory and his beauty, our Christ-likeness will mirror the most glorious one, and we will, on that day, be not overcome with ourselves, but we will be overcome with him. God's agenda for our salvation is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was raised for us, will be the one who is made much of. And so, church, you know when you're suffering, you know what you and I need to do? Is we need to cling on to Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves. Because as we see him, as we behold his glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another one. And as that happens, he's glorified. And you know, when you sin and you fall short and you mess up, you cling to Jesus. Because as you turn to him and as you ask him for his grace, he delights to give you mercy and grace. And he delights to lead you in the right ways. And he delights to help you by his spirit to live in a manner worthy of his gospel. And so Jesus is made much of. And so we need to learn in this life to cling to Jesus, to make Jesus more precious in our hearts, in our minds, and before our eyes. Because as we do so, in God's great plan, it is the way that Jesus is glorified in the here and now, but through his people, to worship and witness, and it is the way ultimately on that final day in glory, that Jesus truly will receive the glory that is due his name. So I want you to see this, the first two links in this golden chain. Foreknown, or for love predestined the purpose he loves you because he loves you and he loves you that he wants to make you more like his son just like his son so that his son in whom you and i are safe and secure will be glorified see paul's argument is not a theological argument as in to try and stir a debate Paul's reason for penning these words is so that you and I can have full confidence that we are safe and secure. Next week as we come back we'll look at how salvation is worked out in the here and now and how salvation the unbreakable golden chain is connected to our eternal future. Let's pray. God our Father, we are so thankful and so humbled and so astonished that you love us, your children with an eternal love. Lord, would you give us by your Spirit the strength to just bask in your love in moments like this no one has loved us like you have loved us we can't fathom the fact that your love is fixed and focused on us it doesn't wax or wane it doesn't change it is steadfast and unfailing God, would you impress deeply upon our minds and our hearts your love for us so that in the moments that are most difficult and where we're tempted to doubt that we would remember there is nothing no sin, no suffering that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And God, as we live this life in those moments where we wonder why are things happening to us, would you remind us in those moments that all things are working together for our ultimate and eternal good? God, we are so thankful that not only have you set our final destination, but you have determined the course, the route. And so, Lord, we pray that We would even give you thanks for the hard providences because we know that you are loving Heavenly Father. You take us through them and you will use them for your glorious purposes in our life. But we are sorry because sometimes our view of salvation is so small when the reality, it is so huge and you're sovereign over it all. Would the bedrock of our assurance be your sovereignty in our salvation we pray this in jesus precious name amen